The Scream Kings are in no way responsible for any encounters with the paranormal, extraterrestrial abductions, eldritch insanity, hauntings, curses, hexes, demonic possessions, cryptozoological sightings, or any loss of sleep that results from listening to this podcast. podcast i'm nathaniel darkish and just because it's a podcast doesn't mean it can't have a decapitation or two today i am having to excuse my uh, usual co-host max uh he is dealing with all of the fun life stuff that sometimes pops up but in his place i have a very special guest brian mccauley and i'll let you introduce yourself a little bit there brian Hello, thank you so much for having me. Um, my name is Brian McCauley. Um, I wrote uh, the novel Curse of the Reaper, which is a meta slasher Hollywood horror novel. Um, and it tells the story of Howard Browning, who's an actor who played a slasher in the 80s. And then uh, when they reboot his film without him, he uh, fights to get the role back and starts to kind of become the character that he played for all those years and uh it's extremely good oh thank you (laughs) just just you know if if anyone was like oh that's a cool pitch i wonder if that's any good yeah no i yeah it's really good Um, (laughs) i appreciate it yeah i've I've worked uh in hollywood for the last decade or so as a screenwriter um so i've definitely kind of channeled a lot of my experience uh and and perhaps some frustrations with the hollywood system into this book to try to really bring it to life yeah i mean i guess you could really uh take on uh you know any of your or take out all of your frustrations uh, in this particular book it's it's, you don't shy away from getting bloody when you need to it's very very cathartic for sure (laughs) um but yeah uh I met Brian at uh, StokerCon earlier this year. We hit it off, had, you know, hung out with a bunch of the same people, had dinner together. And, you know, at at the time, uh, Curse the Reaper hadn't come out yet, uh, but he told me about it. And, uh, yeah, I I knew, uh, well, I got to get him to to send me that so we can have him on the podcast. And um, I have to say, you know, my read of it was... You, you always have the experience that you hope that like people you meet that people that you become friends with that their writing is good and so you can just like shamelessly plug them um and i'm very glad to report that i don't have to like you know oh yeah it's my friend so i have to say nice things like genuinely loved it great read all the way through and i mean i'm not the only one who's who's saying that i mean you're getting great reviews all over the place i was just looking at the uh public uh the publisher page just on simon and schuster and oh yeah you just have like you know blurbs from uh esquire and library journal and you know lots of other writers like clay mcleod and uh jamie flanagan who we just barely had on the show and uh you know just just no big deal just just all these big (laughs) exciting uh buzzy things being said about your book it's just showing up on all of these best of horror lists. So everyone should read this book. Thank you. If you, you like this I, podcast, you you will like this book. I appreciate it. It's, it's been a real wonderful journey. I feel like StokerCom was a huge kind of turning point moment for me um, because, as you said, the book was not out yet. And, uh, you know, I, I went with some, with some bookmarks and just wanted to connect with other horror folk, um, you know, writers and podcasters and everybody in the in the horror community. And I was, you know, I went into it with a little bit of imposter syndrome of just like, what am I, you know, I don't really have, I haven't done anything yet, even though I've, I have done, you know, as, as imposter syndrome works, that's not actually true. I've written a bunch of film and TV projects and was actually invited to speak on some panels, which was great. Um, so I got to meet Jamie on a panel and speak alongside Grady Hendrix and all of that. Um, but the best part was just getting to hang with people kind of in between panels, as you described, of like grabbing food and just 
talking about all our favorite horror books and movies. And um, it was really a great way for me to kind of really feel like I found my my people and and get some some fun feedback from pe- people as I pitch them the book. And it's been a it's been a great. It came out October fourth, so it's still just about two months old now. Um, so I'm still in the kind of early wave of the release um but it's been so far the response has really been it's been wonderful it definitely i i have gotten more out of the book release than any of my film and tv projects in terms of feeling um that sense of kind of creative gratification that you always hope for i think yeah and uh you know i I love too that you know you're not just uh resting on your laurels here uh just on twitter the what yesterday day before you also uh, we're announcing some other projects coming up in the horror yes. book sphere. Yes, I uh, will be doing a novella um, through Shortwave Publishing, and it will be coming out next winter because it is a Christmas horror novella. It is Ooh. a, yes, it is uh, a slasher entitled Candy Cane Kills, and that's C-A-I-N, and uh I'm thrilled. I just, you know, I had a blast writing this, you know, Curse of the Reaper is very much psychological horror character, um, character driven, uh, mashed up with the slasher elements. Um, And the novella is going to be, you know, about half the length, maybe even less than half the length of a traditional novel as novellas tend to be and be a kind of one night slasher story that I think is going to be a bit more kind of full tilt in the in the madness and the slasher of it all so it's been really fun to play you know still in the in the slasher realm but do a different kind of story uh well then we'll just have to have you back talking some sort of uh you know christmas horror thing when that comes out because uh, i'm already stoked to read it oh yeah thank you yeah that'll be awesome yeah um i i love horror novellas i i think the novella is an underappreciated uh, gem that I think especially works with horror, right? Like, you know, this like quick, you read it in one, maybe two nights uh, and you get like a complete spooky story without, you know, having to, without having the, the kind of sometimes underwhelming uh, experience that you get with like a, a short story, yeah. but you know, it's just so digestible and quick and punchy that, that, that's uh i love i love novellas yeah this has definitely been the year that i kind of fell in love with that with that form um and i read some real great ones that i was just like oh wow this is this is not just like you know about a writer working themselves up to a novel and doing like i'll start with a short story then do a novella then do a novel like no it's a it's a very specific form that certain stories are just better suited for and i i think that a slasher is is one of them where you can kind of you don't have to pad it out and you can kind of get make a lean mean story like that and um it's it's especially as you say like horror the way that you know one one or two nights and you're done with it really can kind of have more of an impact sometimes the way that it's just a bit of a gut punch yeah yeah i mean you know i and especially yeah with slashers uh, you know you notice that most slashers are you know a tight 90 minutes right and and you know not not these sprawling four-hour epics not that yes. you couldn't pull that off but um you know it, it, i think a, uh, a lot of times it's the kind of story that that it the quick digestible version is the the best version because you know it's just it's lean and mean um so switching gears a little bit uh one thing that we always have our guests do is share uh, what is their uh, favorite horror, whether that's movies, books, TV shows, video games, I don't know, what, whatever you want to uh, talk about as, as some of your favorite horror pieces. Um, you know, I think a, a movie that really... yeah, I, I, The Exorcist is, is one I keep coming back to, which feels almost like... I feel lame citing it because it's such an iconic one, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I was I was raised Catholic, went to a Catholic school, and I think that it really resonated for that reason. And it also I love it because William Peter Blatty is both a screenwriter and a filmmaker and a novelist, and 
I really enjoyed getting, you know, reading the screenplay of it, reading the book, watching the movie, and then, you know, Exorcist 3 and the book Legion, like to get to see somebody who is playing in all of those forms in different ways. Um, yeah, there's just something about that that really resonates with me in particular. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I mean, you know, yes, it might be kind of a common answer to, to say that The Exorcist is, is your favorite, but I mean, I think it's uh, has that staying power because it is so well constructed, right? Like, you know, they yeah. pulled out all the stops. They gave incredible performances and, you know, really were meticulous in, in how it was written as well as how it was directed and, and just created from every angle. So, yeah, The yeah. Exorcist is incredible. Yeah, and it, it also it's I think it it resonates with you know kind of my approach to Curse of the Reaper. Like uh, Nat Cassidy recently, uh, the the author of Mary and Awakening of Terror, which is an exquisite novel debut novel from this year. Um, he read Curse of the Reaper and and said nice things about it on Twitter. Um, but he was specifically talking about you know the kind of stories where they're just good stories. And there also is horror that it's not just like stapled on, but it's built into it. But also, you know, the character drama really resonates in a way that it's almost like you don't need the horror. But of course, you want the horror and the horror is also important. But I think that that's what The Exorcist is for me, like this this priest who is struggling with his faith and, you know, doesn't know whether he can keep going on in this in this profession and this mother who's deeply worried about her daughter and doesn't know what's wrong with her and doesn't know what else to do. There's just this like really human desperation in these two characters that I think those are my favorite horror movies. Because for me, the emotion of horror comes from being rooted in empathy and love and the, you know, the good feelings that that's mm -hmm. what you need in order to feel the opposite of like the true, like earth shattering horror. And I think Exorcist does that really well. Oh yeah, I definitely agree. The and and I love that, you know, some of the most horrifying moments are some of the more you know, theoretically mundane things, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, the the medical tests and stuff that they're running honestly are some of the more horrifying moments in the film, you know, over, you know, spider crawling and puking, you know, pea soup. Yeah. And that's and, so true. And that that definitely speaks to the power of that human element of it yeah I, I agree like good horror is almost always about you know humanity first and and being able to connect with humanity before it gets into you know the demonic or the supernatural or things like that not that you know we don't need both but um a lot of the best horror gives us both uh, in, in such a satisfying way Yes. Um, yeah. Well, outside of that being your favorite horror, then um, we also like to ask, what is the scariest movie, book, TV show, whatever uh, that you have encountered? Ah, uh, you know, the the movie that when I you know was back in my my like teenage years when I was just like in that phase of trying to watch every horror movie I could find. Um, and just burning through them and to varying degrees of, of impact. Uh, the movie that I had to press stop and like turn on the lights was the thing. Um, it remains the, the John Carpenter's the thing is remains one of my favorite all time movies, incredibly rewatchable. I admire new things in it every time I watch it. Um, but when I first watch it as a teenager by myself in the basement with the lights off, the, uh, the defibrillator scene when the, when the man's chest opens up and just chomps the other guy's arms off and then the head disconnects. I had to like stop and like take a breather because I, I was so overwhelmed and was not expecting any of it. Um, and I still, like I said, every time I watch it, I'm just in awe of, of the effects of the, the intense paranoia. It's just exquisite. Oh yes. Oh, the thing is definitely top tier horror like you i don't know i i don't get how that movie was not a smash hit when it came out but yeah that's... it's bizarre i mean it speaks to how nothing really ever makes sense in hollywood but yeah yeah 
But that is a whole other, you know, episode worth of discussion. Like, yes. Why the Thing is uh, one of the best movies ever and why everyone who didn't give it its due when it came out is dumb. Yeah. <laughs> Though, interestingly enough, I think uh, today, um, you know, kind of moving on to uh, our big uh, movie discussion... Mm-hmm. We're going to be dealing with an, another horror movie that I personally think also maybe never has, has gotten quite the level of uh, respect it maybe warrants. Um, okay. And and you're of course welcome to disagree with me, but uh, we are going to be discussing New Nightmare, uh, the 1994 yes. film written and directed by Wes Craven, the seventh entry in the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Yes. So. I mean, I guess right off the bat, do you feel like this one is uh, underappreciated? I do. I think that I think that because it came out two years before Scream, it kind of got overshadowed in terms of being um, a brilliant meta horror book. Uh, mm-hmm. Sorry, movie. Um, and I, I like you know, I just revisited it today, and it, it had a huge impact on me. Um, and had it was a huge influence on Curse of the Reaper, uh, but I haven't revisited it in probably decades. To be honest, I don't think I've revisited it since my teenage years. Um, and yeah, that I think rewatching it for for the purpose of discussing it really hit home. Like I don't know, there's I just feel Wes Craven in it in a way that just it's so clever and endearing, and there's a sincerity to it. Mm-hmm. Um, that I really appreciate. Uh, and yeah, it's just like really what a concept. Like it's really, he just, he just fucking went for it. And I feel like more and more, those are the, the movies that I appreciate are the ones that take the big swings. Um, and I can't, it's wild to me that this was now almost 30 years ago. Like what a bold fucking thing to do. And of course he couldn't have done it if it wasn't attached to like a giant, successful franchise where Bob Shea at New Line, who's also in this movie, was probably going to greenlight any Freddy type of idea, no matter what. But mm-hmm. like good on Wes Craven for being like, then I'm going to do something really wild and personal and totally different. And that's that in and of itself deserves more respect, I think. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you just said. And and yeah, what, what I love about this one, you know, maybe even over uh, Scream in some ways, though, I mean, at the end of the day, I think Scream might be, you know, my, my preference out of those two films. Um, yeah. Regardless, though, I what I love about this one, you know, as a meta horror film is that it it is such a, like, honestly, just bat crap crazy idea, right? Like, hey, let's take the entire cast, basically, of the original film in this enormously successful series and do a horror movie about the popularity of that series creating you know basically making the monster real and we're gonna have all of these actors playing themselves like that's and and you know and Wes Craven is playing himself and Bob Shea is playing himself like it's it's such a yeah, like like you said, like it's it's such a huge swing, and and I think it works is is the thing. Like that that shouldn't work, right? Like it should feel totally out of place, you know. And and you know, a lot of times when creators insert themselves into a, a piece of of their own writing, yeah, sometimes it feels gimmicky or or weird or at least you know like like a hard pill to swallow. But I feel like. This movie did it in a way that from, you know, minute one, I I was sold on the concept. Yeah, it really. And again, like I just keep thinking like 1994, like nowadays we're pretty saturated with with meta cleverness. You know, you know, I feel like shows like Community um, that like there's so many different media that have done the meta thing. But this was this was really early on. And uh the way that it does seamlessly blend in with the other films is really cool. Um, And especially literally like when in the end, when John Sexton's character, like just 
slowly becomes Nancy's dad and the badge appears and it's really uh, eerie and surreal. And I think that's another thing that this movie does well is the the surreal dreamy set pieces like the like the grave scene feel like they're balanced in a way that feels like they're actual nightmares. Um, Mm -hmm. I appreciate like some of the sequels, how kind of phantasmagorical they become. Um, But this one kind of regrounds it in like, Oh, this feels like an actual nightmare that I've had of like going under the covers. And then I'm in this labyrinth kind of shoot going down into the depths kind of thing, which is, is it, it makes it scarier for sure. Yeah. So actually along those lines, I'm, I have to say, I'm curious. Are there like films in this particular series that you like, like, or, you know, ones that you notably dislike? Because I have uh, a very strong, like, I I like three nightmare movies and I really don't like the rest of them. Yeah, I can probably guess which which ones those are. I, I definitely, for me, four, five, and Freddy's Dead which is six, right? Are yeah. the for, kind of the forgettable ones that all blur together for me. Um, 100% agree. Yeah. And I, you know, the first one, iconic, incredible. Th- part three, Dream Warriors is... Uh, I might say it's my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's yeah. hard. Just it's say hard it. It's not fine. To, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it is. It is the best one. Because it really crystallizes the concept in a way and and balances out the fun and the terror and the it's just yeah it's it's the best um but i also do have a soft spot for part two and uh <laughs> even though it is a much maligned uh entry in the series it also probably was was also a big influence on curse of the reaper in terms of like the character is trying to like inhabit someone mm. uh in a visceral way and there's just a few effects in that one that are fun but it's more you know one one and three are are for me the top tier and and this one yeah new nightmare like i really appreciate it and respect it and also like it's not one that i revisit often um it's just something that i'm really glad exists and was really inspiring to me um but the first one and the third one are the ones that have the most like rewatch value i think for me okay yeah basically it almost almost exactly like the same opinions this is this is a delight people like to argue <laughs> with me about how four is worthwhile and i think that they're crazy um but yeah like to me you know one is a really solid horror movie across the board three yeah takes the idea and just turns it up to 11 and really just goes where you want it to go uh and and continues the story of of our first character too you know with with uh with Nancy coming back in an interesting new way and, and then new nightmare, you know, brings it all back again. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and yeah, like to me, yeah, I agree. Like there are things about two that I, I do appreciate though. I think uh, it was largely a misstep for the series. Um, But you know, I, I appreciate things about it for sure, but yeah, like four, five and six, yeah. We, they, you could just throw those reels in a scrapper, and I don't think the world would be any worse <laughs> worse there, off without yeah. them. There are some there are some great set pieces, like the cockroach is uh, killing is probably one of my favorite in the whole franchise. So, you know, I do think there's some amazing effects work and set pieces, but in terms of like standalone Story. films with yeah with stories that really are memorable, they kind of blur together. And that's something I also with Curse the Reaper really wanted to lean into with um there there are uh script segments throughout the book of the entire night of the reaper franchise um all eight films uh and i intentionally wanted to play with that the way that nightmare and friday the 13th and halloween franchises like every new entry has to kind of one-up the mythology and add some weird new element and you know the dream child and the uh the dream warriors and the the telekinetic teenager fighting Jason or move them to Manhattan. And um, Mm -hmm. to me, like there's, there's just a delight in the way that these franchises keep having to like figure out a new angle. Um, And, uh, but I feel like nightmare out of all of them doesn't really do a ton of that. It's 
that's why for me like four five and six kind of blur together because i'm like they, they they don't really stand out mythology wise yeah yeah and by the way we, yeah going back to to curse of the reaper those those segments often just like the the things that you would mention in terms of like how they had to up themselves just was an utter delight as a horror fan to just be like oh yeah no they totally would do that insane thing in the <laughs> you know seventh entry in this series because why not uh so yeah, yeah like it, it, very funny at times which was uh great because uh you know there there's a lot of darkness but there's also a lot of humor in that book so thank you yeah the humor was important to me and definitely the reaper was most influenced by freddy out of all the slashers in terms of being a kind of pun loving uh slasher um but yeah interesting with new nightmare that i feel like Wes craven was trying to come back to a darker scarier version of freddy i think he was pretty infamously not thrilled with the way that he kind of became a jester character um and wanted to bring that darkness back but there are still some one-liners and and jokes in here which makes sense because there were in the first one as well he always had Hmm. like a sense of humor from the beginning yeah and 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 honestly i liked the the way that this movie balanced it probably almost better than any other nightmare film just because yeah yeah, like like the because the the humor was really mean too yes which really worked for me does what does so when he says uh with the i mean i think the 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 big set piece in this is the hospital scene with julie the babysitter um Mm -hmm which kind of recreates the Tina kill from the first film. Uh, and his one liner there is you ever play skin, the cat, which I don't, does that mean anything to you? Is that a game you're familiar with? I had to Google it and try to figure out what exactly that one liner was even referencing. I mean, I, I think it's, uh, I, I'm like very tangentially aware of it being like a game, like a, a children's game, but, I don't know. I think I think culturally that's kind of more of a thing from the south if if I had to guess. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that it was like a gymnastics move from like the the raised ring bells where you flip backwards and flip forwards again. I was like, is it that or is it a commentary on there are many ways to skin a cat phrase, which is like is that a meta commentary on redoing Tina's death scene and skinning the cat differently this te- time? I was like, I wonder. I, I I think it is an actual like name of a children's game, but you know, and, and I'm sure it's you know kind of more along the lines of you know Red Rover or Kick the Can or something. But yeah. just the fact that it's called that is <laughs> you know honestly horrifying. Yeah. Which yeah. I mean, you know, what what thing in childhood once you look at it as an adult isn't horrifying? Yes, and yeah, I think and that that scene is my favorite kind of look for freddy in this film like we see him a few times before that but that's the first time we see him with the trench coat and the green fedora i think Mm -hmm. uh and it's just a it's a pretty badass look um the i think the makeup effect on the hand is a little iffy but i appreciate you know again that they were trying to do something different and i noticed this time watching it that his pants are like (laughs) black shiny pleather which was an interesting choice well you know this is this is the rock and roll freddy exactly he's he's i think he's wearing like doc martens when he's climbing on the ceiling he's really he's he's rocking it yeah he, i mean you know he he i imagine just was gonna chase this down with a forming a grunge band so yes <laughs> i'd go and see you know freddy and the Krugers. It. It, yeah uh, Considering that I'm a, you know, fedora-wearing Doc Martin kind of guy myself. Uh, That's true. It's a good look. I mean, you know, I I, I like it, obviously. Um, <laughs> so, before we go too, too far down the rabbit hole on uh, Freddy's aesthetic, um, which I agree does look really good for this film, at least his outfit... Um, but I do have some comments later on in the, in the podcast about maybe the uh, burn skin effect. But yeah. um, I do just kind of want to spend a little bit more time on this idea of meta horror. Like, why do you think meta... meta ugh. Well, okay, I just... Ugh. 
been been talking too long today. Um, why do you think that meta horror is so appealing? You know, why why do you think we are drawn as an audience to this self referential, uh, you know, way of of storytelling in general, and but specifically why why it's become so ingrained into the horror genre specifically? Yeah, it's a great question. It's interesting. I feel like I haven't really thought too much about it um, in this context of like, you know, you don't see a lot of meta. I feel like meta horror is a really specific subgenre in a way that like you don't really see a lot of like meta comedies. Like there are comedies where people are making movies, but uh, and there are comedies that are like parodies, but like. Or breaking I wouldn't, the fourth wall, but that's, you know. Yes. That to me is different. Like, I, f- I feel like the thing about meta horror has to do with, you know, the suspension of disbelief and the way that horror, like, we are consciously kind of practicing and playing with fear. And it's a safe space to do it with a horror movie, right? Mm-hmm. But meta horror, I feel like, is trying to be like, okay, but what if we told you we were in on that joke and we know that this is just a movie and we're going to show you behind the scenes, but then we're going to pull the rug out from over you, under you again to say that you're still not safe kind of on the other side of the meta-ness of it all. Um, I think that has something to do with it, that there's a layer of kind of stripping away another layer of safety to a certain degree, kind of like, like the Blair Witch of it all, of like mm-hmm. playing with, playing with reality. Yeah, and I, I definitely agree. And I like that you bring up, you know, found footage there, too, because, you know, whatever we can do to kind of, yeah, bring us one step closer, you know, that like, like I, th- I think that is often uh, something that horror fans look for, because you do kind of get used to a baseline that maybe, you know, your your standard moviegoer might not be uh, ready for. But, you know, oh, yeah, you've seen it. You've seen how the effects work, too, I think. A lot of times horror fans are really interested in like, you know, how, how, oh, how did they do that? How did they do that special effect? Maybe more so than we get in uh, a lot of other fan communities. And so, you know, once you start to see how, how the sausage is made, you know, then, yeah, well, then we can spend time telling stories about it when that goes wrong and turn that into the new horror. And, and also I, I think it, it might be, you know, partially a response to how maligned horror often is, right? Like, you know, whenever there's some shooting or anything like that, there's there's going to be at least a couple of, you know, talking heads on cable news saying, well, is this horror movie's fault? Um, right, yep. And, and you know, I, I like that this is able to, you know, make comments about, like, yeah, you know, sometimes people do just think that, you know, the people who watch horror movies are a bunch of sickos. What if they're, in fact, a maybe loving community, which yeah. I, I find to be the case? Um, and yeah. and instead, you know, it, it can be, you know, what 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 is what is it like to have the people who are making it, you know? encounter bad things or you know i just uh watched scream with my wife the other night too and you know yeah what if it just makes the 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 psychopaths more creative rather than <laughs> making psychopaths you know that right. that's what i like because you know again yeah people like to give give people wide berth once they hear oh you write horror or you like horror so I don't know. I, I think there's definitely a, a part of that that's just so baked into society that meta horror emerging from that makes a lot of sense too. Yeah, no, I think that's so true. And I think that there's something uh, I, I agree. I've only encountered, I mean, I should rephrase that. There are certainly, you know, horror, there's toxic fandom in horror as there are, as there isn't anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but especially I've, I've in connecting through StokerCon with, with horror fiction writers and um, there's just so much, so much love for the genre for each other support and also just people who are clearly working their stuff out creatively in ways that i think is way better than you know people who are just repressing every 
every dark feeling that they've ever had and not not reckoning with with the fact that we all do have a shadow side and what do we want to do with that um i think that horror creates a nice outlet for playing with that and also for for dealing with you know the ultimate fear of mortality and death and just you know that can be looming over all of us but it gives us that opportunity to to kind of look it in the eyes and not not you know that's what the the first nightmare is all about right is like Mm -hmm. I'm not afraid of you. I'm going to look you in the face, Kruger, and tell you your shit. <laughs> like, it's a great metaphor. Yeah, and, and that just continues to, to come through, you know, very clearly with New Nightmare. Yes. Yeah, there's a there's a really nice callback to, to Nancy, you know, Nancy's strength um, that, that comes kind of full circle with this film. Um. So what are, what are some other things that, that you especially liked about this film? I think I, I enjoyed the, like the, 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 the concept of the husband dying so early, uh, mm. struck me this, this time, especially, um, cause I think when I haven't revisited a film in a while, I try to watch it with fresh eyes, um, and even though I did remember that, I didn't remember it happening so soon. Um, and I thought that was a really nice, and I wonder if that was also, you know, a kind of psycho throwback moment intentionally or a, uh, or, you know, a preface to scream calling back to psycho, but it really is an unexpected thing. It feels like they're kind of setting up a family drama thing. And usually in a movie like this, the husband would be the person being like concerned about his wife and, Instead, they kill him off pretty quickly, and uh, but they bring in kind of John Sexton, the the father character from the original film, to kind of play that role. It's it's interesting the way that it it plays in that way, um, and yeah, I think I just appreciated that it was a bit more of a slow burn. Um, I do think that at times a little bit too slow of a slow burn, but I I liked that there was more kind of implied violence building up to uh, the kind of climactic. Uh, scene in the hospital um, and just getting to see these real people from behind the scenes of the movie from Robert Englund to Wes Craven to Bob Shea and of course Heather Langenkamp and John Sexton it was just there's a fun to it that just feels again like I just feel like Wes Craven's presence in it and I think also watching it you know after he's passed has added a new layer to it for me of just like god I love him and everything that he gave us like it's all it's all baked into this movie so that that makes it special for me too yeah absolutely um yeah and and going back to the killing the husband i thought that was especially a such a smart move because i mean you know that wes was really you know pulling a lot from from heather langenkamp's real life right you know her her real husband in fact does do special effects and stuff like that and so you know killing what is essentially you know a, a, a real person in this horror movie was uh, a bold move and it really i like i i like how the stakes were suddenly so high because it's like oh if he's willing to you know kill off the uh you know equivalent to a real human being in this movie then yeah this this kid is in big trouble yeah yeah there's uh the the kid element is totally kind of new and different for this this franchise as well um and there were times when it was like it felt kind of like omen-esque like the playground scene which mm-hmm. I, I honestly have mixed feelings about um but again i'm kind of like like i appreciate that he's just kind of playing around with different subgenres um and i actually noticed this time like the scene when the kid goes running across the highway, they the music cues are totally cribbed from uh, Terminator Two: Rise uh, Judgment Day. Like it, it has that blue look, and I'm like, oh, this came out a few years after, and I feel like maybe Wes Craven was kind of itching to do a little bit of that that big truck action stuff because like that clanking score from T2 was kind of playing. Um, so there are moments that for me in this film that are both kind of odd and ill-fitting but also those are the parts that i love because i'm just like this is weird to have in a nightmare on elm street movie um but there's a great visual there when he looks back and sees all of the freddies coming up against the fence that's super creepy oh yeah yeah like moments like that really worked 
shockingly well. Um, and also, I really love a lot of the set design. Like, Freddy's lair looked incredible in this movie. With, like, yeah. the giant Freddy head that's like a, a waterfall and... Uh, it's beautiful and and the the scene leading up to that you know the slide effect was was maybe my favorite like the this is when she's going under the covers to go find him mm-hmm. and it turns into kind of a slide through like almost like a vent ventilation shaft and it's getting more and more grungy and then yeah as you said spits her out of this giant ornate freddy mouth like a big water slide and it's so over the top and wonderful and it's just like yep we're just going there yeah, it, it really just made this movie feel as big and bold as as it really is. Um, another thing that I really liked is the way that it actually used some uh, very interesting and inconvenient uh, real-life earthquake damage. Um, so one of the first guests that we ever had on the podcast um was someone who was actually a an assistant director on this film um and he he only talked about it a little bit because we were actually mostly talking about um hereditary uh interestingly um and then you know he just started telling us cool stories about working with Wes craven and yeah i guess while they were filming there was in fact just a real earthquake and so Wes just, you know, turned to a bunch of the camera guys and said, well, I'm just going to stop filming today. And uh, you guys are just going to go film real damage all around you know, <laughs> this area of California because uh, we don't have to spend budget on that now. Uh, and it's going to look 100 times better because it's real earthquake damage. Go get out there now. So yep. uh, I, I, I just love that, you know, he was willing to, to do things like that, too, and, and really just kind of you know, work with the uh, tools that in this case, you know, almost seem like divine intervention on his behalf. Um, yes. It, that's a real like extra meta layer, right? Of like, yeah. um, I, I actually also just loved the, and I remember that from the, I had watched the never sleep again documentary, which is like a six or seven hour documentary, just all behind the scenes of every nightmare movie. Um, and I remember learning it from that. That was like, Holy shit, this is actual, earthquakes that happened that they just incorporated um but i do love and i assume this was actually just created on the set not not just casual earthquake damage the the like cracks in the wall looking like freddy's slashes um, oh yeah was just a beautiful image to kind of organically bring his presence in oh yeah i i absolutely love that just you know whenever it's just you know in the background you're like oh yeah freddy's here you know yeah. the, it it's a good way to give us the presence of the character without even having to show him. Yeah. Um, are there any other things that you want to kind of bring up in terms of like what really worked for you in the film before we switch gears over to things that maybe didn't work quite as well? Um, I don't think so. I kind of already mentioned like I, I dug uh, John Sexton's character and the way that that, really trippy transition happens when it's the actor trying to comfort Heather and then she calls it he calls her Nancy and he turns around and he's got his badge and you're just like oh fuck we're like we're just fading into the movie it was a nice I really enjoyed that moment oh yeah it, it felt so dreamy in in a way that yeah a lot of the sequels uh before this didn't you know right I, I, I like the dream logic that Wes Craven creates, you know, in, in the films that he was more directly involved with, which is incidentally, yeah, the three that I think both of us like the best. Um, and, and so, you know, yeah, when, it, when he really plays with that dream logic and, and kind of how it blurs and, and transitions from one thing to another um, with that as, as probably one of the, the pinnacle moments of that, yeah, he just Wes Craven knows what he's doing. Or knew what he was yeah. doing, I should say. R.I.P. Yes. Um, yep. Yeah. He, uh, yeah, he just was very intentional um, and just, like, thoughtful. You can tell that he really cared. Um, and by all accounts, like, that's how he was with 
his actors and everywhere on everyone on set like he was just a really warm and like we talked about that's those are the horror people who like mm-hmm. are just delightful humans man i love being in the horror community it's the best just the best okay well um on the on that delightful warm fuzzy note let's let's move into things we didn't like as much um (laughs) so yeah the the first thing i want to bring up and and you already kind of touched on this is that yes sometimes the pacing uh, was a little too slow yeah i think for me it was especially in the the hospital the kind of like i like the idea of the of you know people not believing nancy and thinking she's a bad mother that really i thought resonated well but i feel like they leaned a little too much into that sort of manufactured sort of drama with with the nurses who are just kind of angrily trying to sedate her son um yeah i feel like intensely illegal (laughs) yes (laughs) i was like this feels a little too like nurse ratchety um but i think yeah so i think you know, this movie, I think, clocks in at like an hour and 50 minutes. And I think it could have been closer to 90 minutes and been a bit more efficient. Um, but yeah, the the hospital, as I said, also had my favorite kind of set piece moment in it. I just think that, yeah, elements around it might have been trimmed a little. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't maybe need to have the the head nurse, you know, going now. Has he seen your films? Like... 40 times maybe yeah there were like two or three full scenes kind of repeating the same kind of energy i was like oh could just do one yeah so so that definitely you know seemed to be uh yeah i guess yeah certain scenes really just kind of were were driving home the same ideas too many times especially in the hospital and also yeah for me i just felt like certain scenes like nancy slowly walking through her house you know kind of leading up to her going down the the bed slide um i felt like that scene was maybe like twice as long as it needed to be um yeah i just feel like you know that it lost a lot of steam really late in the game which is the wrong time to lose any steam yeah i think that's a good point because it the slow boil of like slowly alluding to Freddy, I think really works well, but then right when it's building towards a peak, it kind of treads water a little bit too much. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And the, the, the one, the like piecing together the burnt pieces of paper that say answer the phone wasn't as scary. Like it, it felt like there were a couple of kind of, just swing and miss moments for me of like oh is that what we were building to um but yeah it's kind of that's a tough a tough wa- uh, wire to to walk i think sometimes with the slow burn element mm-hmm. um the next thing that maybe didn't work as well for me was one element of the freddy look uh, i i agree that like yeah his his costuming loved it but to me, this version of Freddy, how his skin looks specifically, felt very rubber masky. Um, mm-hmm. Like I don't know, it just it seems like it is a very very good, you know, mask to buy at, at you know for for Spirit Halloween. But it didn't feel like Freddy. Like it didn't seem like a dude who had been burned or anything like that. The I don't know the the places that his face is damaged are a little too perfectly edged and stuff like that and so that kind of always throws me out a little bit because it just felt too designed as opposed to organic yeah I think that's that's a good point and a good way of phrasing it It does kind of look like one of those masks Um, and I think also he's wearing contact lenses that kind of jumped out at me there's you know it's it's interesting because I feel like Freddy and his makeup from the previous films are so iconic that he just like even when he when Robert Englund emerges on the talk show as Freddy I really felt I was like oh fuck there's Freddy oh it's it's just like it's him Mm -hmm. um so then to get the the kind of deluxe spirit Halloween version was kind of like 
oh, this actually, I understand why you're trying to say, hey, it's not that silly Freddy anymore. It's a darker, more real version, but it actually had the opposite effect for me where I was like, it feels more manufactured. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I think that captures it perfectly. It's the weird inversion of, of what they were going for. Yeah. Um, and and it's a shame too because like I think England's performance as Fred Freddie is the best in this movie over any other film that he that he's done. Yeah, it's a really scary performance, as you said. He's like much more mean spirited, um, and like yeah, the way that he moves and engages with the characters on the screen feels much more threatening. Mm-hmm. Um. The only other thing that I had that didn't work for me was just that there are a number of characters, uh, the the son specifically, but also just uh, some of the minor characters who just felt very wooden in, in their performances. I just felt like, you know, there were some people reading off of a, you know, sign being held up by someone behind the camera of what their lines were, which kind of threw me out because i I think you know it just it it felt so um drastically different you know in in contrast to how how good um heather lincolnkamp is and how good robert england is and how good you know even you know bob shea is and and stuff like that like it just i don't know it, it felt weird how there were some people who just seemed to be people reading off of a yeah, off of a teleprompter when when it's supposed to be the real world. Yeah, it's interesting because like the, there's a degree to which that could work in a meta situation, but it feels like the wrong moments are when that happens, when it's supposed to be more grounding and be like, no, this is the real world. This is not, um, you know, the the fading into like we talked about with the with the actor becoming the, the cop dad where it's like, Oh, it's becoming the movie. Um, there are moments where it's supposed to be more grounded where it's a little creaky performance wise. Um, yeah. It's, you know, yeah, at, I, at new line offices and someone is just, Oh, hi, Heather. You're like, yeah. <laughs> mm. Oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> yep. Um, was there anything else that, that kind of stood out to you as far as maybe things that didn't work as well in, in New Nightmare? Um, you know, I love I love conceptually the kind of jumping off point of the mythology of it all. I do feel like it gets a little convoluted and a little unclear, like I mentioned with the, the uh, kind of like Omen vibes with the kid trying to reach God on the playground and then is it like is he trying to possess the boy and then Wes says that the entity is concerned with the murder of innocence and yeah and that so Heather's kind of the gatekeeper between our world and his but and he's trying to get her at her weakest point which is her son it just yeah it became a little bit convoluted for me as to what the the the, you know Freddie demon thing is actually trying to do and what each kind of manifestation like means um and the kind of going in and out of dream world of it all but you know to a certain degree i could also argue that that's part of the charm of like you don't really know what the hell's happening in this movie and you're in heather's shoes in that regard yeah i i definitely agree i I do feel like yeah maybe maybe Wes knew a little bit too much too clearly in in terms of you know when she actually talks to him oh well you know he is this uh demon and he has existed for a long time and like just like all of this very specific information that like yes he's writing the script in for the movie in the movie but also it it does feel a little weird that he would know this much information about something that is kind of outside him um right and and yeah like i don't know i i think he he overcomplicated it right like he could have just said enough people believe in freddy now freddy's real right instead of well there's this demon and throughout all of time it has you know taken uh the the fears of humanity i'm like uh i don't know we're, we're getting a little too 
esoteric here. Let's just kind of keep it pure and simple. Enough people believe in something, it's now real. Right. Yeah, which is a concept that makes sense. And and yeah, I, it definitely, like I said, like this was a huge inspiration for, for Curse of the Reaper. And, and my kind of twist was to like focus on the actor who plays the monster and walk the, the line of is it psychological or is there something supernatural like has this has this character taken on a life of its own from living through the film so much and because this actor dedicated his life to it and and it's i it's a it's a hard line to walk to to find the balance of like to give the audience enough to kind of piece things together but not to kind of be over explanatory um but also to play with the meta of it all that like a lot of these slashers do that moment of just like exposition dumps as to why the, the thing is back from the dead doing something different now kind of thing um yeah yeah uh and and you know i'm it, it, i think it's easy for us to you know now that we've seen so many other examples of meta horror to kind of be like oh yeah maybe he didn't stick the landing on on that element though yeah to, to give wes uh you know his his due here he you know was really kind of kicking off a, a meta horror renaissance that um you know yeah other people have have had a lot more practice uh being able to figure out kind of how where, where that line is in terms of what information do we need to convey to make the meta horror work um that's very true yeah yeah again this is like so, almost 30 years ago now which is wild to me yeah this is such a you know groundbreaking movie that no one even seems to remember a lot of the time yeah yeah it's a great title too i love that yeah wes craven's new nightmare like it even the title is meta and i did like that line of dialogue when she's talking to wes and she's like well what happens in the screenplay and he's like it's not really a screenplay so much as it is like a nightmare. Um, like he's, his experience of it is like transcribing a nightmare. And I'm like, yeah, this is actually the title. Yeah. And that, dang it. Wes Craven is just too good at what he does, honestly. Yep. Just, I just, yeah. This is making me want to go revisit a bunch of other movies too. Yeah. Now I just want to have a screen marathon and uh, just watch a bunch of his other stuff too because Wes Craven so good all right um so to kind of wrap up our discussion of new nightmare um let's go over uh how we rate the film so um we will be rating it uh by screams so on a scale of one to ten how scary is this movie and crowns uh so one to ten how uh, good of a movie is it in your you know professional opinion so uh i'll go first with screams um i give it a four i don't feel like any of the nightmare on elm street movies are especially good at like getting under my skin in a way that haunts me like like i i, I love watching them because they're fun and yeah like this one oh you know it scratches that like writer's brain that i have of oh yes uh, this is how storytelling is constructed and oh that's a really interesting idea but yeah it didn't really scare me scare me um so i gave it a four yeah i think that's fair um yeah it's it's not a viscerally scary movie it's more of like like an intellectually scary movie it's like if you think about it it it's a scary idea mm-hmm. um but as far as the actual execution you know there are definitely a couple moments that are unsettling um i guess i'd give it a five yeah i'll give it a five all right uh and then crowns wise uh, i give this movie an eight maybe it's just because i really really like uh you know Wes Craven and meta horror and um you know just like how bold this movie is but I really love this movie it's 
it's you know maybe not you know breaking into like my favorite horror movies of all time but it really is a lot of fun so yeah a solid eight from me yeah yeah i think this is a movie that i as i think i mentioned like i i appreciate it and am so grateful for it more than i really want to watch for it me as like a, yeah um i so I, I think i'd probably land on like a seven for this one um and you know the the first film and the third film would be would definitely be be north of that in terms of my my go-to nightmares um but it's yeah again it's one where I'm, i just have like such a like uh like a saccharine relationship with just like loving because it's just such it's a it's such a west craven there's a pureness of his expression in it that i really appreciate absolutely all right um so i guess kind of moving out of uh new nightmare then um one thing that we like to to do on the podcast uh is we like to share how we are staying spooky so you know sharing something that you know in the horror world that we have read watched played whatever um recently that you know maybe stood out to you uh and i can go first um i finally got around to watching the uh new marvel technically feature length film in that it's like 55 minutes long uh werewolf by night and i freaking loved it it's oh have you seen it i haven't and i forgot like i this is one where like i saw a couple people posting when it was released and it i was like it was on my radar and then it fell off my radar so thank you for this reminder yeah no i i like can't recommend it highly enough because it's it's definitely a a movie that is both made for like people who like you know comic book movies and stuff like that yes but also it is this love letter to like classic universal horror you know it's it's filmed in black and white it's got so many set pieces and story elements that feel straight out of the universe a lot in you know 1930 and it's 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 very fun like the story takes some really great twists and turns um i was surprised at some of the the things that they did and yeah it's just like a, a fun monster romp that absolutely delighted me and basically i'm just like well if this were a series i would want eight like eight seasons of this right now i could binge this i i was utterly smitten with it it kind of came out of nowhere for me and um it now it's like you know top tier you know one of my favorite things that marvel has done in the last you know two decades oh i'm so excited to watch it because like the wolfman is my I, I love that character and uh uh, I I'm not familiar with with Marvel's riff on that the werewolf by night character from the comics but um the cast is amazing and the the black and white kind of homage factor looks beautiful to me and I also was just thinking the other day I was like I feel like I'm not getting my money's worth out of my Disney Plus subscription I need to figure out more stuff to watch on there <laughs> and that's there it is yeah honestly like if 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 they had you know had nothing else um, I would say like Werewolf by Night is is the single thing that uh, I have liked the most that uh, on Disney Plus, you know, in terms of their new content. Awesome! Oh, I'm excited. And I spend way too much time watching you know superhero movies and stuff, so that's that's saying a lot. <laughs> oh yeah, we did a whole rewatch of every Marvel movie during the pandemic. That was a was a phase i think a lot of people went through too <laughs> well then then you were just in for the the best little treat here with werewolf by night so my staying spooky um you know we were talking earlier about no horror novellas uh and i've read one very recently uh called this is where we talk things out by caitlin marceau um released by darklit press and it's it is a shining example of why novella is a great format for a horror story um and i won't say anything too much about it other than just the the, the setup is just a woman who uh whose whose estranged mother wants to reconnect with her 
um, by by taking her to a remote remote cabin in the snowy Canadian wilderness as you know only good things happen when people go to stay in remote houses in the wilderness um, yeah and it's just a really effective and efficient horror novella that that really uh, left a mark um, so yeah it's uh, this is where we talk things out by Caitlin Marceau and adding that to my to read list right now yeah yeah I, I definitely have been on a horror novella kick lately probably after um reading a lush and seething hell have you read anything by john horner jacobs i have not oh read a lush and seething hell amazing i'm adding it like one that you know that name for a collection is incredible but the the two novellas uh, that one of them is called the sea dreams it is the sky uh, and the other one is my heart struck sorrow so Ooh. dude knows how to name stuff like n- nobody else but um the 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 first one is this kind of very lovecraftian look at this kind of like fictional um south american country that's you know kind of uh, recently been overthrown by a you know horrifying regime and stuff like that like in like the 1950s and so it's, you know, like trying to solve this mystery in a very Lovecrafty kind of way. And then My Heart Struck Sorrow is a folklorist who is kind of uncovering the story of a man, um, also in like the 1950s, who is going all over the American South trying to find the purest, most original version of this song about a man who fights the devil oh uh you know and and as as he gets uh you know closer to the original story the more terrifying things become that sounds deeply unsettling and and meta if not meta adjacent yeah that sounds great so both of those are just in my opinion like 10 out of 10 straight bangers so uh highly recommend and and ever since then i've just been on a insatiable horror uh, novella kick so oh awesome i'm excited to check those out yeah see i i love doing this podcast because i you know get to give and and receive uh recommendations all the time that's so good all right well i guess let's kind of wrap things up uh where can people find you if they want to you know hit you up online or or anything like that you can find me on i'm active on instagram and twitter at brian mcwriter um I may be convinced to join TikTok if Twitter keeps sinking as it seems to be. Um, and my website is brianmcwriter.com. Um, so there you will find links to Curse of the Reaper, some, some short stories and nonfiction that I've had published. Um, but yeah, I'm on, on the socials, love chatting with people. So please find me there. And also, of course, please read Curse of the Reaper because it's freaking fantastic. Thank you. I appreciate it so much. I appreciate that you wrote it. <laughs> oh, it's a, it's a joy. You know, it's like you write the book that you want to read. And so having people read it and enjoy it, uh, it's uh, it's like, I mean, this is why why we do what we do in the horror community is to just celebrate this the genre and the things, the stories that we love in it. Hell yeah. All right. Well, I, I don't think there's really anything else uh, we have to cover, so I guess we can just kind of wrap things up by saying stay spooky. Need even more Scream Kings? Here's our obligatory shameless social media plug. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Scream Kings Pod. You could also email us at ScreamKingsPodcast at gmail.com. Help us reach a wider audience of horror fans by leaving a review on iTunes or by sharing a link on social media. You can also support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash Stay spooky.